Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, I'm, I'm really glad you're here today. You are really going to be impressed, and I mean I am pressed, <laughs> impressed with the person I'm going to talk to today. I, I'm impressed with her. Her name is Dr. Carol Clark, and let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Clark. Dr. Carol Clark is a board-certified sex therapist, a board-certified transgender care therapist, and a certified addiction professional. She's senior instructor at the International Institute of Clinical Sexology, Sex Therapy Training, and the Addictions Therapy Training Institute, and is president of the International Transgender Certification Association and the Therapist Certification Association. So I could go on, but let me just tell you that Dr. Clark is a wealth of information. To me, I, I often consult with her. I have to be honest, I'm finishing up my doctorate in Dr. Clark's classes, and I listened in her school, and I've been listening and working with her for a while now, and I thought, oh, you guys need to hear more from this woman. <laughs> so Dr. Clark, thank you so much for coming today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Rob. Soon to be Dr. Weiss. Wow, I'm I'm so honored to be here. It's such a pleasure, and uh, I have to say, you are one of my prize students. Stars to you! So I'm happy to talk today about whatever you would like. Well, because you're such an expert in human sexuality, and you've taught me a lot, and and no, folks, I don't mean literally. <laughs> we looked at it at books and movies, <laughs> and you know, Carol Carol taught me a lot about sex, but not in that way. But anyway, Doctor Clark, I thought you would be such a gift to people who ask questions that are often difficult to answer and like, and I'll give you a couple of them. You know, I have a lot of women who write or call and say, you know, my husband loves me and we have sex together, but I think he's looking at male porn. I think he's been having sex with men. I wonder if he's gay. That is probably, other than sex addiction questions, the single most consistent question that I get asked uh, by women who are fearful about what this means. So if we could tackle a couple of questions that maybe kind of dive into the sexology world more specifically than just addiction. I think that would be a huge gift to the people who are listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you have a practice and I can imagine, and you treat sex addiction and we're going to talk about how to reach you when we're done or your school. But uh, there may be some things that you're hearing that you think, boy, people really confuse these issues when it comes to sex. And we could be a, offer an opportunity to help unconfuse some of them. So why don't we start with that one, which is 
you know, let's say it's a guy who comes in and says, look, I, I love my wife. We've been married for six years. We had decent sex. We have two kids, but she caught me looking at all this male porn and I've been having sex with men. And I think that must be sex addiction and I want it to go away. <laughs> what would you do if that man walked in your office? Okay. So that one question just goes off in so many different directions. There's just so many angles to this one question, which, yeah, it gets asked a lot. Not only uh, along with, am I gay or is my husband gay, but also bi, that comes up a lot too. When, uh, you know, am I bisexual? Is my husband bisexual? So let's start with the basic definitions. Uh, what is bisexual? What is gay? So these terms have to do with a couple of things. One is behavior. So people behave in a homosexual, heterosexual, or bisexual way, meaning that they're they're having sexual relationships, sexual intercourse, you know, sexual interactions with someone of the same gender as themselves. And I like to differentiate sex and gender. I'll get back to that in a minute. So this man is thinking two things. He's making he's making two assumptions. One is I don't know why I do this thing with I do with men since I love my wife and I love my family and I have sex with my wife. And the other thing he's asking is, am I a sex addict? Because this is out of control. I don't want to be doing it. I feel compelled to do it. I can't stop it. So isn't my attraction to men an addiction? And so those two questions, why am I doing this? And is this an addiction? I think are the, the ones we can take on the most directly. Okay. So now you, so that's another whole issue. Is this an addiction? So addiction is about obsessive compulsive out of control behavior done in spite of negative consequences to self or others. And so if the, and it comes back to behavior again, what is my behavior in the thoughts that go with that behavior? So why couldn't I say, well, I'm addicted to having sex with men? Well, you could, you could, because what it is, is addiction is about objectification. Addiction, when we put it in this framework, the sex part is less important than the addiction part. So a sex addiction is about addiction more than sex. Sex is the drug of choice. And then we have to define that further. So again, it's, if, if my drug of choice is men, then it's simply a drug. It's an object. It's a eight ball of cocaine. Okay. It's not about the person being the gender that they are and me being attracted to that gender. So you're saying to me that addiction is addiction is addiction. Yep. That it looks a certain way, it acts a certain way, it has certain antecedents in, in your history, and that it really doesn't matter so much in terms of addiction, whether you're into men or women or transgender or, you know, chicks with, D, with you know, whatever it is. Yeah, which is another one that comes up a lot, <laughs> the whole trans. Yes, that is another question, which is my husband or my boyfriend or boy or, you know, whatever it is, seems to be having sex with, with transgender people. Right. Does it mean he's gay? Does it mean he's trans? So yeah, people are looking for the underlying meanings of all of this. And all it means is if it's obsessive, compulsive, out of control behavior done in spite of negative consequences, self or others, is that he's an addict. So this is interesting to me because if, if a, a man came into my office and he said, look, you know, I love my wife, I can have sex with my wife, but I've never really had sex with other women. And all the porn I look at is male and I only have sex outside my relationship with men. And so my feelings about men, am I going out and having sex with men? That must be an addiction. That really isn't accurate entirely. I mean, it may be that he's just interested in men and that he feels driven to be with them. Or it could be that he has a very a serious addiction problem, 
And we don't know why psychologically he's playing it out with men. Absolutely. He could be gay. He could be stuck developmentally around puberty. Because let's remember, here's another aspect to all of this, if everybody's not confused enough already. When people, males or females, hit puberty, right, just kind of pre-puberty, they start getting excited sexually. The hormones start going, they start thinking about sex, and they're coming out of that a lot of uh, same-sex relationship uh, stage of life. Right. When you're a young teenager, you have peer relationships. Yeah. When you're, you're 10, 11, 12, all your friends have mostly been same sex. And so, who, of course, who are you going to start fooling around with? Well, now if you have other problems in your life or things that get you, keep you stuck there, things that might lead you to become an addict that um, because you just get stuck developmentally because that's the way addiction works. Or if you're doing other things addictively, that it, again, emotionally frees you at that age, then you can get stuck there in those same-sex relationships. So you really can't say to that man, well, you, I think you're gay or I think you're an addict without doing what? A lot of history taking? Yeah, we want to get the history. We want to look at the meaning. We want to look at the energy that goes into the behavior. We really want to look at that because, you know, at the end of the day, if the person, the person might be gay and they might be an addict, it's not like they're one or the other. They could be both. So we always need to treat the addiction first. But homosexuality in someone who does not want to be homosexual, who, who doesn't in any way want to live a gay lifestyle, so to, so to speak, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean they're an addict. Absolutely. Now you're looking at another aspect of this. I said in the beginning, there's so many different aspects to this. But now we have the, the religious piece. We have the, I don't want to be gay because being gay means my life is going to be really difficult in you know so many ways and i'm going to be shunned by everyone i'll be rejected i'll be this that and the other or whatever it is for that person i might have to lose my marriage whatever it is for that person for, and they might lose their marriage so i don't want to be gay i don't want to have these feelings well all right again if that person was coming out was coming to grips with their orientation around puberty and getting really strong messages that this is wrong, this isn't going to be accepted. Um, they are going to freeze there. You know, a healthy, per, happy person is going to move through the stages of life and accomplish those stages and move on to the next one. But when we get stuck at a stage, now we're stuck. And we can have all these different parts of us that are stuck at different ages. So we're going to have this person who doesn't want to be gay, but they're stuck at that puberty place where they're discovering, are they gay? Are they not gay? what's really their orientation. And uh, we're going to have to address a lot of the trauma. It comes back to trauma, really, at the end of the day. A lot of this comes back to trauma. And um, trauma doesn't have to be some major trauma. It can be some small trauma. It's traumatic if you are questioning your orientation and the people around you, your parents, are telling you that's wrong, that's bad, you're going to go to hell, nobody's ever going to love you. That's traumatic. If you are brainwashed for whatever reason by culture, by religion, if you experience some kind of brainwashing experience, of course, you're going to, and in fact, we do see, I don't know about you, but I certainly see more people from very conservative environments or, or very morality-driven environments really struggle with sexuality more than I do people who don't come from those environments because oftentimes they are told that this is how it's supposed to be and this is how you have to be. And if you're not this way, then something very bad, you know, then, then you're going to go to hell or whatever it is. 
but then that's who they are. <laughs> and, and as you said, then they get really, really stuck. But I think my, you know, what I really wanted to focus on with you here is that just because you don't like something around your sexual behavior doesn't mean it's addiction. And I think that you and I both run into a lot of people who say, oh, you know, I, I like wearing women's panties when I have sex, or I like uh, when a man ties me up when I have sex, or, you know, I like having sex with, you know, transgender people, whatever it is, and they don't like that about themselves. And so they grab onto the word addiction as if, as if that was something they could get rid of. Mm. So how can you explain that? So remember I said sex addiction is about addiction, not about sex. So the other side of that coin is enjoying wearing women's panties or being tied up or engaging in whatever kind of BDSM or other kinky play that you want to is for the purpose of sex, sexual gratification. So one is about sex. The other is about addiction. So one is like about arousal. When you say sex, you mean about what turns me on? Arousal and desire. Arousal being uh -huh. physiologically aroused, desire being psychological desire. This is what I enjoy doing. And it really can take, you know, this is what turns me on. This is, and it has nothing to do with um, the meaning underneath being, having anything to do with gender orientation. And, and I think this is one of the reasons folks who's, who are listening that I really want you to see a certified sexologist, someone who's been to a program like the one Carol runs or a CSAT, go see someone who has education in human sexuality. And because as you're hearing, you know, in that very scenario I laid out, someone could be bisexual, they could have orientation issues, they could have an arousal process that's different than they want. It's very easy, I think, for us to say, oh, well, this person is doing this, so it means they're that. And oftentimes when people are doing this and they don't want to be doing that, they will call it a bad name like addiction. But it's our job, people like us, to really pick those pieces apart. And they're often woven together really tightly. Trauma, fetishes, kink, addiction, all of those issues can kind of weave into each other. And then there's how the person has perceived them and what it means to them, not to mention what it means to their spouse if they find out yeah. about it. So these are complex cases. They are. And you, you kind of said something that, that led me to think about the intimacy part of this. If we're talking about having sex with a partner and it's someone that we really care about, not a one night stand, which are fine. You want to have one night stands, that's fine. Unless you're a sex addict, but then there's a lot of things that aren't fine with that. But for uh, all other things being equal, if you're in a committed relationship, and uh, feeling intimacy, then I'd like you to think about sex as being an expression of intimacy. Intimacy being love? Is intimacy like love? Intimacy being connected, being uh, really open with another person, you know, very trusting, open, feeling that connection. It's really as simple as connection and disconnection. Addiction is about disconnection. Mm, addiction is definitely about disconnection. No, even if you're doing the most intimate thing you could be doing, you're still not present. So it's not really intimate. It's simply body parts engaging, but that's not intimate. Okay. Intimacy is about that connection of knowing that you are with a person. You're not with an object. You're not having sex with an object. You are with a person that is distinct from you and is connected to you. 
You know, one of the things that I remember um, a friend of mine said about how do sex addicts find arousal in sex with a partner? Because sex addicts are used to intensity-based sex where they're looking at an objectified person's butt or boobs, whatever they're looking at, and they want to have sex with those body parts. And, you know, that's very different than what you're talking about, which is an intimate connection. And that's a hard bridge to to make. So I'm going to give you, I'll give you a saying that might be useful for your class, actually. Um, I was told by a friend of mine that sex for sex addicts with a partner who they're really committed to is not about being horny. It's about being willing. Mm. And I really love that because a lot of sex addicts walk, they're so used to being immediately aroused by a new stimulus, porn or someone new or some hot situation. And so they expect when they walk into the room with their spouse of 15 years, that they're going to have that, ooh, I want to have sex feeling like they do in a stranger. And that's not where sex comes from most of the time when you've been with somebody a long time. I think sex comes out of what you're talking about, the intimacy, the relationship, the connection. And that's not what sex addicts, or in fact, sex addicts try to avoid that on some level. Absolutely. And um, so I actually uh, wrote a book about all of this called Addict America, The Lost Connection. Addict America. Addict America, The Lost Connection. And the focus is really on that lost connection and, um, and how we in America, especially, but really human beings everywhere, when we start getting into that disconnected place of uh, trying to fill ourselves up, trying to uh, use external validation for internal validation to feel good about ourselves. We get into an addictive place and then we want more and more and more and we're never filled. And so sex with a partner, what you're talking about is about intimacy and connection. We would like it to be that. And I certainly invite people, willingness, as you said, are you willing to be intimate, to truly be intimate and connected with your partner? And that means whatever you do sexually is simply an expression of that intimacy. It's not about you doing whatever sexual behavior takes you off. I think men hate this language because mm-hmm. it sounds like girl language to them. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're just more intimate, more loving, more. And they're like, what do you want? I just got home. I had a bad day. <laughs> So I I think willingness, though, is really about lying in that bed with your partner. And what willingness is about, okay, I'm looking at you. I've seen the same body for 18 years. It looked better 18 years ago. (laughs) Mine too. But if I rub your back, if I kiss your ear, if you rub my chest, if we get a little bit of oil, all of a sudden it becomes arousing. And then we have sex. And you know what? It's amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. But I won't necessarily walk into that situation, and I think this is true for a lot of men, expecting, oh, that excitement I would get at a strip club or that I would get with a new girl or a new boy or because intimate love and intimate sex is not the same. It doesn't come from the same emotional place and thus Addict America, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Addict America really focuses on, again, just like sex addiction isn't about sex, it's about addiction. Addict America talks about uh, our addiction is stimulation. That's what we really get addicted to. And everything becomes a drug that leads to that intensified stimulation. It leads us into addictive thinking and behavior. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. 
Well, you know, we have this phrase, which I'm sure isn't familiar to your average listener, but I'm going to use it. In therapy world, we have this phrase called secondary gain. And what that means is you may be thinking you're going out drinking to relax, but you're really going out drinking because you're so anxious and tense that you feel better after you drink. Mm -hmm. And the person who is going out thinking they're going out for fun, but really they're drinking just to feel okay, that's an addict. That's That's the person who will be drinking when everyone else is just drinking to have a good time because they just can't, they just don't feel good unless they're drinking. And it's kind of similar in the sex addiction world, you know, um, intimate and romantic sexuality. Boy, does that feed you and and feed your feed every part of you. And the non-intimate sex is like eating potato chips when you're hungry. You just never get filled up. And and maybe you could talk more about that, Carol. Like, how does healthy sex and intimacy fill us up? I mean, what does that really mean? Well, so you know, it comes down. I love I love the language of addiction because it, like AA started a long time ago, and just it works for so much. It works for everyone. So you go to the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So the courage to change the things I can. So so what is it that needs to be changed? It's that feeling of emptiness inside that comes from those early childhood traumas, whether they're major traumas or the other seemingly smaller ones that are so much more insidious. And so those traumas that leave us feeling empty, not important, unlovable, not worthwhile, not good enough, that leaves us feeling empty. And then we grow up and look for things to fill us. And we don't even remember why we're empty. And we don't even know why, because it's something that's become so much part of us. And it's back in our limbic system, which is the unconscious brain. And so as we're growing up and then we latch on to something, we make that connection that, oh, when I do this, suddenly I don't feel this loneliness, emptiness. I feel good. And there's how the addiction begins. So whatever it is you latch on to, that your brain is conditioned to know then that this will make me feel better, whether it's alcohol, drugs, porn. Uh, sex with guys, sex with girls, sex, you know, gambling, shopping, ice cream, anything, uh, whatever it is. And that's why it's Addict America, because we as a culture grab external things all the time. That's what I mean about the external validation. Totally validating when I grab something outside myself to make myself feel better, but it's never going to be enough. And so I need more and more and more. Now, I will say that when I'm hot and I'm thirsty, I go run and grab a glass of water and I feel better, but that's not an addiction. You're taking responsibility for that. (laughs) Um, So let me ask you this. What do you do when someone comes in and they are deeply disturbed? Now, I want to move away from from addiction for a minute and move into sexuality, um, non-addictive sexuality, but things that disturb people, that make them feel they don't like what they are, or they don't like what turns them on, or they they just don't enjoy sex unless they're doing something or with someone that they don't feel good about, meaning they want to be with men, they are with women, you know, whatever that is. We know that there are certain things that are really not, that are pretty fixed and unchanging by the time you're an adult. Orientation, sexual orientation, orientation is pretty fixed and stable. Gender identity is pretty fixed and stable, whatever that is. And fetishes, things that kind of kink and stuff like that, that also seems to be pretty fixed by, let's say, adolescence or late adolescence. So when you come in and someone says, I just don't want to be attracted to men, or I just do not like the fact that I like being tied up, or and I'm going to say something about those things in terms of sex addiction in a minute, but separately from sex addiction, how do you... How do you help somebody come to peace with something that is not going to change about them? 
Okay. So again, well, you were talking about a couple of different things, but let's go with, we are born optimally sexual. We are born to be open to anything and happy with anything. And then we get messages about what's okay, what's not okay. And we do have some of the hard wiring. Yes. I would suggest to you, I'm absolutely a biologically built homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) I have never had any interest. uh, And I'm absolutely certain that that's bio. And and we come up, you know, we're, we're biological. Yeah. Here's the thing. We both have these ideas, but we also, I don't know about you, but I came into the world because- I identify as female and I was assigned female at birth and I happen to be heterosexual. So I never really had to, I never questioned that until I got into sex therapy <laughs> and then you start questioning everything. And, um, but I didn't get really negative messages about anything. So I was free to explore that within myself. Well, if, if you're a homosexual, if you're a heterosexual in a heterosexual culture, yeah. you're not going to run into anything unusual. Exactly. So it's, but if, if someone comes into my office, who's gotten a lot of messages that it's not okay to be who they are, we're going to go back and disentangle those things. And I, I do it with EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Everybody at home can look it up, emdr.com. But it's basically, it gets, that's a, a way of getting into the limbic system, bringing up the memories and reprocessing the memories of these negative events, that these negative messages and turning them around. Okay. So if I, in other words, if I had been born assigned female at birth, but believed I was a guy and got messages, no, you're a girl, you have to wear dresses, you have to be this way, you're not going to be accepted if you're not, I could grow up and do EMDR with an EMDR therapist and their their special training. And we'd go back and pull up these old memories, reprocess them. So now I can leave that behind, put it in the past, and then look at making decisions about how I want to live my life today without that baggage, with nice, clear, clean decisions. And then I can decide. So if I was told that it's wrong to be tied up, if I was told it's wrong to have sex with same sex people, you know, whatever it was, we can first put aside, reprocess those messages, and then I can make a decision. And I might decide, you know what, I really enjoy this, I want to do this behavior, and just move forward with that. And then as a sex therapist, I can be helping people after we've gotten rid of all the stuff that's getting in the way of optimal sexuality, I can help them explore uh, how to do whatever it is they want to do in a healthy way, and in a way that is congruent with their own beliefs. One of my tools that I bring into everything is should. We get rid of the shoulds. Should's bad word. It's a power. It's an external power and control word. And instead of should, we say want or would like. So it's not I should be doing vanilla sex with a heterosexual partner. It's I want to. Or maybe I don't want to. Should is absolute black or white, right or wrong. Whereas I want to or I don't want to, I have room for both. That is a fabulous answer to working with people who need to come to acceptance, whether it's you know fear based on what they grew up with or trauma that they experience, or you've got to work through that before they can clearly see themselves without all of the weight of other people's experiences and other people's beliefs weighing on them. You kind of have to split all of that away. By the way, I want I want to say, and if you haven't seen it, I'm going to make you go see, I'm going to test you on this, Dr. Clark. <laughs> Hannah Gadsby is a, an Australian comedian who is transgender, lesbian, 
uh, not transgender, I think she's lesbian. She actually doesn't say what she is, but she talks about uh, on Netflix in an incredible, I think, documentary, or it's really a comedy, it's a com comedy show. It's an hour and a half of comedy, but she brings a light, shines a light on how uncomfortable and painful it is to be told that you should be something that you're not. Uh -huh. And if you ever get the chance, and I know you're going to show it to your classes, <laughs> I really hope you go watch Hannah Gadsby and Annette on uh, Netflix, because I have never seen a comedian take that form of art so far into poignancy and trauma and emotional pain and bring everyone back out with her. It's really amazing. Mm. But I have another question for you. Mm -hmm. And this is a different question. I'm going to say this in this way. Let's say you work with a guy who didn't like that he was into XYZ, whatever it was, a gender issue, an orientation issue, a fetish issue, but it's part of who he was. Now he has to. Now he's reached acceptance. He feels comfortable. Not comfortable, but like, okay, I'm not a bad person. Mm -hmm. How does he go back to his spouse and say, by the way, honey, I really am into leather. And that is really a major part of what turns me on with women. And I really do like sex better if, you know, you're wearing a leather teddy and I have a whip in my hand and she's not into that. She didn't marry this guy or get involved with this guy thinking he, she was in, he was into any of that because, of course, he never told her. And now she's five years into a relationship where you're teaching him or preaching, supporting him, coming to peace with himself and accepting who he is. But that doesn't mean his wife's going to like it a whole lot. How do you deal with that? How do we deal with anything in our relationships where your partner doesn't like it? So let's take it mm -hmm. out of the more judgmental, moralistic, emotion-laden, whatever place that either person is putting it in. I'm going to look at the partner in this too and see what is, what, what's coming up for you. What's the meaning of this for you? And is there some EMDR we need to do with you to, so that you can make a decision here and now as an adult? So now if we have two clear-thinking adults who love each other, are in a relationship, and are just now we're just solving a problem. And there's a lot of ways to solve this problem. What is what would you say the problem is? So the problem is the guy likes to do, he wants to have sex with leather. So, you know, whatever the leather is, and she doesn't. Not only that, but she feels uncomfortable. She feels like it's bizarre. She feels like her husband's sick. She Okay, but there okay, wait, 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 wait. There no, your husband's sick. That's the meaning she's giving it to it. Where did she get that? Because she wasn't born with that meaning. Gonna have to work through that so that now she can at the end of the day, she can say, you know, this just doesn't do it for me. I don't like it, but without any heavy meaning to it. It's just, I don't like broccoli, but I can sit here at dinner while you have broccoli. You can go out and have broccoli with your friends and I will have, you know, Brussels sprouts. Or you know what? At the end of the day, maybe eating broccoli isn't that important to you. You know, it, it really comes down to, look, bringing it back to the, I'm going to take it out of the sexual arena to make some points and give some examples for people, but then I'll bring it back to sex. How many women out there really like to give blowjobs to their male partners? Not as many as guys want to think. <laughs> but women do. Why? Okay, right. You know, so what one woman might say, you know what? I don't, I don't like giving you blowjobs. Um, I'll feel less threatened if you get a blowjob from a guy than a woman. Go out and put your penis in a glory hole and get it blown. Not a big deal. Come home to me and, you know, with that disease free. 
So that's one option. Another option might be, you know what, sometimes I'm, this isn't my favorite activity, but I can do it because I love you. And because you do things for me that make me happy, I'm going to do this for you to make you happy. And, you know, and then we can have trade-offs. You know, I don't mind the leather so much. I just don't want to do it all the time. So let's compromise and we'll do the leather sometimes. And sometimes we'll do something else. There might be something all the way to, you know, I do enjoy this as a sexual pleasure, but I, I'm willing to not do it because it disturbs you so much and it's not that important to me. Yeah. So there's, it's just solving a problem, you know, and that's the kind of problems couples need to solve all the time because they're not going to agree about everything that has to do with life. I, I want to say something because we're going to get ready to close now about sex addiction and all the things we're talking about. So when I, I've been in this field for 25 years, as you guys know, and I'm a sex addict and I started my own recovery 35 years ago in the last, for about 20 years, um, probably through the early 2000s, I watched professionals in my field absolutely say that as a sex addict, if you were going to be in recovery, you could only have vanilla sex with a intimate partner. And that was it. Uh, and that's what gave sex addiction a bad name. Well, it wasn't just about homosexuality, that's true. But they were also saying, you know, fetishes are out and any kind of, there was an idea that, well, if you were beaten as a kid and now you like pain as a part of your sexual pleasuring, well, then you're re-traumatizing yourself when you have that kind of sex and therefore you can't do it. And, and what I wanted to say about the conversation we're having in the context of what this show is about is that the world of sex addiction is opening up. It's becoming much less rigid around this is right for everyone and this is wrong for everyone and becoming much more articulated to what works for that person in their situation, in their love life with the person they're with or not with. And not so much about, well, all sex addicts have to stop this. I started writing about open relationships back in the 90s. And uh, for gay men in particular, I was talking about, and I got a rat. I got so much. <laughs> People wouldn't buy my books. They wouldn't talk because I dared to mention that anything other than a committed, solitary, vanilla sexual life, that's all that was available for a sex addict going forward. And I think to say that is to deny people their healthy sexuality and to deny them the things that would turn them on and help them continue to enjoy sex with a partner rather than running off to a stranger. So I'm just curious, do you also see that the world is changing in this way? Because this conversation, Carol, that we're having now would have been anathema. It would have been, oh my God, chase Rob out of the field 10 years ago. Well, and unfortunately, there's still some people that have that thought like chase, you, chase us out of the field because they're still functioning from that place. But this life is evolving. This field is evolving. We have all kinds of new research. We have all kinds of things. You know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of a lot of the stuff comes from just ignorance of what anything is about. You know, it came from sex addiction therapists and sex addicts ignorance of what what it really means to be a sex addict because nobody was talking about it. they didn't really know what this is. So much fear. And then for the people who are sex therapists, they're coming from a place where they were subject to uh, a lot of hate mail and a lot of bigotry and discrimination because they were daring to say, you know, healthy sexuality goes beyond vanilla sex. And so, of course, they took it very seriously when suddenly, you know, they perceived that they were under attack with this whole sex addiction thing. So fortunately, um, many people in both fields have grown and evolved. And we're at a place now where we can distinguish. And, and that's, again, uh, that's what I that's all I talk about in my book is that distinguishing what is the addictive energy and what is 
healthy, recovering energy. And it doesn't, the behavior isn't as important as the energy that you're bringing into it. Are you present and connected with your, with anyone, not just a partner, but with the world, with where you are right here and now, or are you constantly escaping and trying to, you know, reach for something outside yourself to feel better? You know, it, it becomes that simple. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Carol Clark, <laughs> who I admire and respect. Carol, how can people reach you if they have questions for you, if they want to study under you, if they'd like to do something online and check in with you? How do they do that? My email is, uh, I have an email for the school, which is the International Institute of Clinical Sexology. So the email is IICSPHD, IICSPHD at gmail.com. So that's easy. And what is the website for the Institute itself? Uh, that is clinicalsexologyphd.org. And the other website is therapycertificationtraining.org. So for people who don't want a PhD, but might want training in uh, any number of other uh, certifications, we have hypnotherapy, kink conscious therapy, sex therapy, addictions therapy, and transgender care. So that's at therapycertificationtraining.org. And thank you, Carol, for being in this world because you invite the conversations that are difficult. You hold on to the ground that has been hard fought and hard won for people to have acceptance and peace. But you also really understand what out of control is and how much that hurts people. And that combination of acceptance and boundaries is not always found in a therapist. So thank you for being that. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, no, it's great. And we're going to do more. We're going to have more conversations. I hope I'm looking forward to it. Folks, thanks again for joining us at Sex, Love, and Addiction. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care. <laughs>